You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. So in the fall of 2014, Raina left her practice as a criminal appellate attorney with a nonprofit public defender's office where she'd worked for many years. It was time to try something new. What began as a lark when she enrolled in a writing class at the Writing Institute at Sarah Lawrence College has turned into her passion. Inspired by her work as a public defender, Raina's first novel, Unreasonable Doubts, was published by She Writes Press in 2018 and named a finalist in the Women's Fiction Writers Association Star Award for debut fiction. My name is Layla for Middle Grade Readers, features a dyslexic protagonist, and is a story about resilience, empathy, and self-acceptance. With both are true, Raina has returned to women's fiction, the law, and New York City. I always like to say that uncorking a story is about uh, the stories behind the story. So Raina, tell me, where does your author story begin? Oh, wow. So it really does begin when I left practicing law. And I know a lot of people go back a lot further than that. They always wanted to be a writer. They always had it in their head that they would write novels or short stories or something else. And I really was not that person. Um, you know, I like to say that there was a woman in my first year law school class who really wanted to be a novelist. And she dropped out after our first year. And by the time we graduated, she had a beautiful book published and she, you know, she was living her dream and it was great. And I admired her, but it wasn't my dream. And, you know, I really would say that my author's story and my writing began when I stopped practicing law. Okay. Well, I, I do want to rewind a little bit because I wanted to uh, kind of dig into like what, what drew you to the legal profession in the first place? Was that, was that what you wanted to be when you were a kid? Did you grow up thinking that you'd be a lawyer or do you have other dreams? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I definitely did not grow up thinking I was going to be a lawyer. I didn't really know any lawyers. We didn't have lawyers in the family. Um, I didn't, I didn't have much of a sense of what lawyers did. Um, I was more just a good humanities student. I knew I wasn't a sciencey type. Um, my, my two older sisters are both doctors and I kind of toyed with the idea of that for a little while. But once I started taking, you know, chemistry and biology and all these classes on the college level, I realized that was not for me. Um, so no, I mean, I think, you know, when I was small, what, what did I want to be? I wanted to be Miss America. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that may be a universal wish. I'm not sure, but um, that was definitely my, my passion. Um, so no, I, I came to law pretty much, you know, I was maybe a junior in college and I started looking for a summer job and trying to figure out 
what I would do when I graduated. Um, and I actually worked the summer of my junior year at a hospital uh, doing research on kids who had been abused and neglected. Um, and the research was focusing on whether kids who are in that kind of situation, are they also getting their routine medical care? Are their parents taking them for routine care where such abuse and neglect might be noticed by the doctors? Yeah. Um, and it was fascinating work. And I kind of got into the whole idea of maybe representing children. And that was, that was the first job I had out of law school was um, in the family court doing that. Wow. Well, it's interesting. When I was uh, an undergraduate um, at the University of Connecticut, I was uh, uh, studying psychology and I was going to go off and get my PhD. And I was fortunate enough to have an advisor who pushed me to do undergraduate research during my senior year. And my undergraduate research was in child abuse and trauma. Wow. And, um, and whether or not there was a relationship between a higher acceptance of aggression in adulthood. So not quite the same as what you were studying, but mm -hmm. um, certainly, um, certainly there. So that's so, so your first, you know, your first sort of assignment out outside of law school was kind of working in family courts. What did um, what, what were some key takeaways, um, you know, you had, uh, you walked away with from that experience? I mean, to me, family court is like the most intense place that you, you find the law interacting with people's lives. I mean, I know there's, there's all sorts of, you know, I did criminal law for many, many years. So I know that that's also a very intense area, but something about being in the midst of these families and trying to understand what would be the best way to help them out of the situations that they've either created for themselves or found themselves in. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's remarkable. And, and the people, I guess one of the things I really took away is that there's so many different players in family court, right? Like there's, it's not just the family, like you're kind of envisioning that it's just the parents and the kids, but really the social workers, the people that work for the city, the judges, you know, the prosecutors, everybody is playing such a pivotal role in such different roles. And, you know, that kind of um, interplay really stayed with me. And, and it's, it features a lot in the third book that I wrote, because it, it you know, it's, it stayed with me, because I thought about how, how does a judge view all this? How do you, you know, how do you get into it, as a person who is not part of the family, right? You're not actually responsible for these people on a certain level but in another level you really are responsible for them and you know how do you how do you figure that out and how to figure how do you figure out as a human being what your role is in, in these cases yeah i imagine like the stories must stay with you um you they know did. a lot of the stories stayed with me i mean one of one of the images that i i never forgot and you know did work its way into the manuscript was that one day I was in court, you know, normally when somebody, a parent is charged with abuse or neglect, the family is seen by social services before the case comes to court and, and assessed. And, you know, they try to figure out what would be the best thing for the children. And if the children need to be removed temporarily from the home, it happens before the case ever gets to court. But sometimes if the parent is withholding or the parent is kind of hiding the kids, the, the ruse is that the social worker will tell them, you bring the kids to court, you know, we have a court date and then they come in and they take the kids right there in court. And I had, I have only seen it once, but it was really honestly one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. I mean, it was, it was basically an ambush and, and it's an ambush for good cause, right? I mean, these kids needed to be out of this house at least temporarily, but you know, to walk into court with your children and then all of a sudden somebody comes and removes them from you. It's just, 
And I, I will never forget the sound that mother made. I mean, she, she screamed as if, you know, somebody had stabbed her. And, and I'm sure that that is very much what it felt like for her. Yeah. So, you know, some of those scenes definitely stayed with me. And this is, you know, going back a long time now. So. Well, I mean, so, so you worked in the legal profession for, for how long before you started writing um, your first novel? I worked for 23 years. All right. So that's, I mean, that's a, you know, that's, that's a lifetime. Now, were you always in the family system or? No, I worked, um, initially I worked at a big law firm just for a year, just to see whether I could stomach it and <laughs> make some money. Um, but it really wasn't for me. Um, so that was just for a year. And then I got the opportunity to clerk for a judge um, for a year, which was a fabulous experience for a young attorney to work, you know, I worked with a federal judge and it was wild. Um, and then I worked in family court um, for three years. Um, and then after that, I switched to doing appellate work, um, at like a legal aid kind of spinoff. It wasn't legal aid. The, the family court work had been at legal aid. This was like a spinoff um, and it was representing um, you know, adults who had been convicted of felonies in the state of New York and were seeking to appeal their convictions. And I was there for almost 18 years. Wow. So kind of doing that work to, to for, for people who were perhaps unjustly sort of um, convicted, trying to get those convictions overturned? Either get the convictions overturned or more often to get them a new trial. If, so, if something had gone wrong that was a you know a fundamental fairness issue that they deserved a new trial it didn't necessarily mean that they weren't guilty of the crime <laughs> and you know nearly um, i mean most of the time when they got a new trial they would be convicted of the crime again but at least the trial itself would be fair so it. it's very much representing the system i mean you're obviously representing individual clients but i think the way many defense attorneys or at least i did could stomach it is that you're really defending the system of criminal justice that we have in this country. Right. So leading up to 2014, which is when you um, left your left your um, your your job, left your post, you know, yeah. one could say, um, what was kind of going on in your life at the time? And what was what were some of the, the sort of the, the factors kind of influencing you to to make a change, whether that change was going to be writing? Maybe that was an unknown at the time. But what were some of the things that were just kind of pushing you in a different direction? So I think a lot of it is kind of a stage of life kind of thing. My kids were um, not out of the house, but definitely in their teenage years. And I felt like I had more of an opportunity to maybe do something different, to not feel like I needed to always be where I was and know, know what I was doing. I could take a little more risk. Um, you know, and, and luckily I was in a financial position that, you know, I understood that I could leave that job and not immediately get another job that would be you know, <laughs> paying me money as opposed to writing books. Um, so, you know, I, I think I had a lot of kind of lifestyle things going on that kind of said, you know, maybe this is the time. And, and I, as I said, I had been doing it for a long time. So I just, you know, was the commute there, you know, there's, there's always lots of things that are going on that you just feel like, wow, now I really need to, to do something else. Yeah. All right. So, so what, so the, talk to me about when writing comes into play. So you, you, you enrolled in a course, um, tell me, how did you come across this this course um, at Sarah Lawrence, and and what did you learn about yourself as you started that course? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. So I, I was quitting my job. I, as I say, I had really no direction of what I was going to do. Um, and this friend said to me, "Come take this class with me at Sarah Lawrence. I'm taking a class." And I said, well, "What kind of class is it?" And she said, "It's on memoir writing." 
And I, I kind of rolled my eyes. I said, listen, I am not writing a memoir. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an interesting enough person, but I don't have a life that, you know, deserves memoir treatment. Um, and she said, no, just come with me. I think it's going to be fun. And, you know, let's just see what it is. And, and I went with her and, you know, I told her and I tell her all the time, she changed my life because I, I went in there kind of with an open mind and not a lot on my plate, nothing committing me to anything else. And, you know, I really learned that memoir is not necessarily writing your whole life story. Like, you know, if you've done something amazing, of course, but if, if you really look at, at anyone's life, there are moments that you can write about that are pivotal to you. And if you think about them hard enough, you can find a way to write about them that will relate to other people. You know, it's, it's moments, you know, relationships you've had or relationships, you know, with your mother or with your clergy or with whoever it's with that you've had like meaningful moments with, if you can figure out a way to write those, to bring out the emotional elements that other people can say, you know, well, this is not my story. This is not my relationship with my mother, but I understand where she is and I understand why it was meaningful. And, you know, I spent a year in the class. Um, I wrote a lot of short pieces about different important people and different important moments in my life. And, you know, when I was done, I kind of thought like, maybe I could actually turn some of this into something bigger and, you know, a bigger project. So that's kind of where, where it all got started. So that's where you got bit by the bug. I did. I mean, you know, and you know what, I mean, you know, it like you do, like you start to publish small things, you know, a, a, a three page essay about something that was meaningful to you. And all of a sudden, you know, if you're doing it on the internet, for example, you know, an internet magazine, people are writing in and saying, wow, you know, that meant something to me, or I remember a moment like that with my mother or whatever it is. And, you know, and you do get the bug because it's that interaction. It's not, you know, it's not like fame and fortune. It's just that someone is reading your words and, and getting something out of them and wanting to interact with you. And that's, that's huge. Yeah. That, that instant validation um, is, and, and, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel a little bit guilty about it because, you know, I'll throw things up on social media, like um, as, as you were talking about, you know, um, you know, this isn't my mother, but I was thinking about a, a time when I was writing, um, not writing, I, I was doing a fundraiser for our, our local cancer center here in Stanford and I just, just, instead of saying, hey, this is Mike, I'm doing a 10K, uh, would love your donation. I wrote a story about my mother-in-law who had passed away from cancer. Mm-hmm. And that just brief story, I mean, we're talking two paragraphs, three paragraphs at most. Um, you know, it led to, first of all, a lot of, hey, that's a beautiful story. Right. Um, would love to know more about your mother-in-law to you know, lots of donations coming in to the Bennett Cancer Center. So, you know, I realized that just... The way you frame things and, and how you share certain things um, can make all the difference, but it's also that validation that kind of fuels us a little bit because right. you, know, you write something and you want to get some feedback on it. And right. um, that's an important part of the writing process that I don't think a lot of people, a lot of readers may not realize that, you know, how much, how much, you know, feedback as we are writing um, plays a role in what it is we eventually put out there. Yeah, it definitely does. And it's, it's hard because you find yourself, you know, asking for reviews or whatever it is. And, and that's, that's not a great feeling. You don't want to have no. to ask for that. And you don't want it to sound like, you know, you have to tell me it's great because I need to hear that to get up the next morning. But, you know, there's, there's an element there. I mean, it definitely is. Yeah. Well, that's why I think classes and just even having like other writers to, to network with and even meet up with regularly to share your work with is, 
is so important because these are people who they have no vested interest in your outcome. If anything, there might even be a little professional jealousy there. I mean, and I certainly notice that um, I also do stand up comedy. And I notice that when I talk to comedians, it's the, the, the people in the room who are hoping that you fail when you go on stage. Right. <laughs> the writers are a little bit more kind, I think, about it. But yeah. Um, so tell me, so the, the, what was the um, sort of the genesis of your first novel, Unreasonable Doubts? I love the title, by the way, uh, Unreasonable you. Doubts. But uh, what was the genesis of that? So it was definitely um, based largely on the work that I had been doing. And you know, probably a little bit too obviously autobiographical, but not in the big, not in the big picture. Um, I mean, in the big picture, the protagonist has a a little bit of a dalliance with one of her clients and that, that was definitely not um, autobiographical, but, um, but, you know, it's a judgment-free zone here though. Yeah, no, no, I know, but it wasn't. Um, (laughs) And that was definitely the first question I got in every book group I did, you know, is this, did this happen? Um, But it was definitely inspired by the office that I worked in. A lot of the characters were drawn from um, characters, uh, real people who, who worked in the office. And the book itself was followed a case that I had handled um, on appeal, uh, a rape case where the um, defendant won a second trial based on a DNA problem, um, a problem with the DNA evidence. So, you know, in some ways it was it was easy for me to write because it was it was fueled by a lot of things. It was fueled by the fact that I just quit the job and that, you know, even though it was my doing to quit the job, it was a big turning point in my life. And there was sort of a lot of emotions involved with, you know, why I had left and um, what I was going to do with myself. And so in that way, it was kind of, it flowed very easily because there was a lot of emotional backing to it. Um, And then also it kind of had a very built-in structure because it was based on his case. So I kind of knew, you know, by X chapter, he has to have, you know, the attorney has to have found the winning issue. And by X chapter, he has to get out of jail. And by such and such chapter, maybe they get together. But, you know, so it was, it was kind of, um, yeah, that's kind of the genesis of it. Okay. And tell me, how did you, how did you work through the publishing process on that? So, you know, coming to writing at sort of a later age is, um, it can be difficult. And especially, I think, I I don't know, I don't know if other guests have told you this, but, you know, when you are not that savvy about the whole social media realm, when you don't have much of a platform, um, trying to get yourself an agent and trying to do things that way is is really difficult. Um, So I did try for a while because everyone told me you have to query, you have to get an agent. That's the only way to do it. And, you know, the big lesson I learned, I think out of all of it was there's, there's a million ways to get your work out there. And there's just no point in getting, you know, stymied by the fact that you're not going to do things one way or the traditional way. Um, So I ended up going with what they call a hybrid press uh, mm-hmm. she she writes press um, which is a wonderful publisher who she publishes um, mostly women um, she tries to kind of even the playing field a little bit that way and you know you do have to make an investment of your own in it as well um, but it gets turned around in other ways you get much higher royalties whatever it's, it's a it's a business model and yeah. it's not it's not your standard traditional publisher um, but the book came out beautifully and I, I, I was, you know, they distribute to everybody and I was able to get out there with it and enter contests and do, you know, do whatever I wanted to do with it. So for me, it, you know, it worked out well. Yeah. I mean, it did, it was a finalist in, in women's fiction, uh, the women's fiction writers association. So that's a, 
That's a big uh, feather in the cap, so to speak. Yeah, it was. It was very exciting. I mean, I had no idea. I just figured I'd throw it in there, and you know, you know, you have no idea what anyone's going to think of anything, and you know yeah. that that worked out. So. And it seems like you pivoted for the second uh, novel, um, going more to sort of a middle middle grade um, readers with My Name is Layla. Tell me, why, why you know, was that just an, an interest of yours to try and do something completely different or what, what was the motivation behind that? Yeah, another <laughs> another friend told me to come to a class with her. I, I, I'm like the most suggestible person <laughs> you've ever met. Like you could bring me somewhere and I'm like, all right, I'll try to write that. Um, so really a friend was taking a writing for youth class. She said, come with, come with us and see what you think. And I had no idea what I was going to write about. I was, you know, really worried that I was going to get in there and just say like, this is completely ridiculous. I can't do this. Um, but then the story kind of came to me and, and the voice came to me. And that was really, that was really great. I mean, I would love to, you know, some point try to try to do it again, because I, I really felt like I channeled my inner 13 year old. Um, and I feel like I got Layla's voice right. And that's, you know, that's nine tenths of the battle is, is getting your character in the right place. So yeah, it's, a, it's, an, it's, I think a meaningful book. I mean, it's about a girl who's got undiagnosed dyslexia and she's going into eighth grade and there's a new English teacher and he kind of recognizes her potential. And she has a moment where she almost blows everything up because that, that's my that's my bent. So she kind of has a moment of juvenile delinquency. <laughs> she, she um, yeah, I won't tell you, but she does something destructive, um, but she's able to come back from it. And she has people around her that are able to support her coming back from it. So it's been great. I just won a Moonbeam Children's Award for it, Gold oh, Award. Wow. So I don't know. I'm excited about that. So yeah, I mean, I, and you know, it's, it's COVID. So getting into the schools has been nigh impossible. I mean, I've been to yeah. like, you know, three or four schools. So I'm hopeful and things clear up and they start letting people back in. I'll be able to get around with the book a little more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just even with book promotions, yeah, I talked to a lot of authors um, this, this past year and it's like opinions are, are kind of split on even, you know, doing book promotions. A lot of people miss kind of being in the bookstores, doing live events, meeting people face to face, doing the signings. And then there's some people who are like, I'm happy as a clam just doing this by Zoom and not having to travel and just, yeah. you know, keeping it's all that. It's hard to sell books on Zoom. Oh, I hear you. No. I hear you. <laughs> so. um, well, let's talk about um, the the latest one. Uh, Both are true, which I know is was out uh, recently, sort of end of, uh, end of October. Actually, this was last week or this yeah, week. October 5th. October 5th. Sorry. No, um, all good. You know, I'm looking at the book cover right now. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful book cover. It looks like, is this Central Park? And do I have yep, that uh, location correct? Yes, you yeah. do. Wow. Um, so tell me about this book. Both are true. It seems like you're returning to some legal roots here. Right, back to the law. Um, so this is, uh, it is set in New York City. It's a kind of a combination love story, courtroom drama. Um, the female protagonist, um, Jackie Martin is a family court judge. And that's really, as I say, kind of was inspired by my early work in family court. Um, and she, she's very controlling and uptight. And she kind of feels like she's a new judge. She's very smart, but she feels like she can fix all the dysfunction in her courtroom by kind of sheer force of will. And she's kind of approached her personal life the same way until she falls for Lou Greenberg. And Lou's kind of her polar opposite. He's laid back, he um, enjoys life. He wants to be a writer and he's kind of, 
he fancies himself kind of a sensitive guy. Um, but on the same note, he tends to leave the people that he loves. So pretty early on, the relationship kind of hits, hits a snag and we, we kind of watch it and watch them both grow and figure out what, what they would do for love. Who do they want to be? And what, what does it mean to them? So so, I mean, a, I'm sorry. Going. No, I was going to say there's a lot of law in there because she's, in, she's a family court judge and we just kind of see the cases that come before her and what they do to her and how, how she develops her own sense of compassion and who she wants to be. And then she kind of winds up across the courtroom from Lou at one point. So. Oh, intriguing. I was, mm -hmm. I was going to ask, is this more of sort of a legal law story or is it more of a love story? Yeah, it's kind of both. It's kind of both. Um, yeah. I mean, the climactic events have to do with the case between okay. the two of them so got it got it and i was just kind of learning uh just looking at the the, the write-up here on your website it seems as as if lou has uh some unresolved feelings towards uh his uh his ex-wife is that right his ex-wife yeah when he oh. was, yeah so listen family is a complicated thing right and the, the polls family you know have on you and he's got a you know stepdaughter and you know Nothing is easy and clean. That, that's my view. <laughs> I don't know. I, we like to think things can be put into little boxes and this is all, you know, so obvious, but I don't think that's true in life. I think there's all sorts of mess. I have to agree. Um, no one tells you um, how messy life can actually be. And, and when you're a kid, I think, at least I did anyway, you know, my, my parents have been together, I think 64 years this, wow. this, this past October. Oh my God. Um, you know, they're both in their late eighties now. And, um, you know, you, you see that. I, I think about that. I'm like, wow. I mean, they, they're, cause they're much more the exception than the rule these days anyway. Yeah. But they sheltered us from actually seeing the world the way it is. And, and now I'm in my late forties, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, life really isn't all that clean. You know, yeah. they, things are, things do get like, when you see the relationship status on Facebook saying it's complicated, yeah, like that is, um, that is very, yeah, that can be very true. You know, right. it's like, it's, it's almost like the perfect relationship status um, because things do get complicated. And of especially, course. you know, you raise a, children, my children are adults now. I have three in college and Wow. And you and you see that you know things aren't just it's not just about love anymore. I think there there's some other issues that kind of arise as well. So um, yeah, does life gets messy? No one tells you that though. No, <laughs> they should. There should be a course on it somewhere. You know, like you took that you took the course at Sarah Lawrence. There should be another course. You know, life is messy. One hundred and one. I used to think that when they sent you home with a baby from the hospital, I'm like, how are they sending me home with this child? Don't they understand? I have absolutely no idea what's going on. Oh my gosh. So we have, we have triplets. So, Oh um, my God. Wow. They, they didn't send us home with just one child. They yeah. sent us home with three, although <laughs> oh, they were I staggered because they staggered a little bit because they were underweight, but um, yeah, that's the truth too. I mean, John, wow. they, they, you just, I, I, I came in here. I had zero kids. <laughs> I'm leaving right. here. I have three kids. All right. That's I haven't amazing. changed at all in those three days. <laughs> wow. That's you really know? quite something. That's funny. That's funny. So what are you, what are you working on now? What's, um, are you, are you uh, outlining anything at the moment or? Yeah, I just started. I actually just, you mentioned writing groups and I, I just started with a new one, which I'm excited about. Um, this group I've been trying to get into for years and they would never have me. But then somebody left and they said, all right, all right, you can come now. So um, so that's great. And I, it's 
it's interesting. I've never, I've done classes. I've never really done a workshop like this where like each week, it's not each week, every two weeks, we're allowed to bring in like a thousand words and, you know, and everybody reads it and makes comments and it's great. I mean, it's really, it's really helpful. Like you were saying about getting feedback on the other hand, like the idea of doing like three or four pages at a time, I'm finding difficult because mm. it's making it so I can't really write forward because I'm, I'm still thinking like, oh, but this week they're going to read pages, you know, nine through 12. I can't start again at page 50 or wherever I was when I, you know, I don't know. It's just like the whole thing is I'm having a hard time figuring out how to utilize their feedback in the best way. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know. It's uh, totally, totally. I think you'll learn over time though. I think that's one of those things. I where, hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I like the people a lot. I mean, I respect the people a lot. They're all people I had classes with at Sarah Lawrence. So it's great. It's just interesting transition. Yeah. How's the interaction? Are you doing it on zoom or can you meet in person? No, or? we're meeting in person, which I hope is okay. <laughs> yeah. Until I'm somebody sure. gets sick, it's okay. But you know, right now it's okay. So yeah, I mean, it seems fine to me. And look, I just flew to the West Coast and, and spent, you know, four days in California. So I'm sure writing should be okay. I mean, you're kind of working in a, in a writer's workshop should be yeah. okay. I would I hope. So. Um, well, any events that you want to promote? Do you have any events kind of coming around? Um, uh, both are true that um, that you want to promote? or Yeah, I mean, some of them are, you know, still Zoom events. I have a UJA event um, on Jan on November 4th, which is a Zoom event, if anybody wants to be interested in that. Um, yeah, you know what? It's been quiet, and I'm trying to get now into book groups, um, mostly. If, if, you know, people are interested in that, I would love to come and visit. And, and I also do a lot of law firms, so that, that's been kind of the bread and butter of it, which is great, um, because it's, you know, a group of people, and they, the law firm gets the books for them. And I come in, I do a lunch, you know, lunch and learn whatever with them. Um, so I'm doing stuff like that, but those are more, you know, kind of private events, um, within the firms. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do, if anybody wants me to come and speak, I'm available. Well, there you are. And then, uh, where can people buy, uh, both or true or any of your previous works? Um, so certainly online, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, um, bookshop.org if you want to get to your local indie bookstore um here in scarsdale bronx river books has it you know right on the table but you know i don't know anywhere else i think you pretty much have to go in and, and order it so sure sure well very good well uh rena this has been fun thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me i know we had to, to reschedule earlier um uh, at our first go around but uh i do appreciate you making the time now thank you i really love being here